Good morning. I, uh, I know Abby probably doesn't want to be up here longer than I'm going to make her be up here, so we'll make it sweet. This is Abby, my wife. I've talked about her a few times. The better, the better half. As I said uh, a couple weeks ago, right? I wasn't here too long ago. Right there, her and I got married. Uh, right on top of my grandma's favorite verse, Romans 8:28, right? So this is a, a special place for us, and we're just really happy for you guys to always welcome us here and, and give us an opportunity to share and worship and love with you guys. Abby, I don't know if you want to say anything, or she's just happy to be here. Well, thank you guys, and we love you. I'll play with two mics today. How's everybody doing? I feel a joyous spirit in here. Does anyone else feel that? It just feels like a joyful, joyful environment, atmosphere. I love that, you know? I... I've said this a few times every time I come in here, but uh, I just want to, I feel like last time I didn't really get to say it, but the, the praise and worship team, you guys are awesome. <laughs> like, like, you guys are so awesome. I don't know where Sonny went. I was looking at everybody. There he is. He's in the corner. Man, it's just, uh, you know, living out in the West Coast for a while, I've been to a bunch of churches, and there's something special about here. I, don't, I, don't, I can't put my, my finger on it. But I know that's because it's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's hard to put your finger on, right? The Holy Spirit's something that is very, very uh, abstract, but yet real. And I think that's what's the coolest thing about the Holy Spirit. Uh, because you know when the Holy Spirit's there, but when you are asked to describe the Holy Spirit, it becomes super difficult, right? You're like, well, I don't know what that is. But it, when you're a Christian and you're a believer, you do know what it is. Um, and that's something I didn't understand when I was younger. Uh, and, and today we're going to kind of take it back to the, to the roots so we're going to read some scripture today. So you guys ready for that? I, uh, last time I think I read like one verse because I just went way off course. Uh, and the AV team was probably super confused because I gave them a ton of notes of a bunch of scripture. And then I said one scripture and I just talked. Uh, today we're going to let God talk as much as possible. So if you'll join me in prayer before uh, I kind of dive into this. Heavenly Father, God, we're just so grateful for your presence. We're grateful for your spirit, Lord. We're grateful for a holiday season that has been etched into society, whether they know it or not, with your son's name, Jesus Christ. How amazing that is, Lord, that Christmas, which has taken over every single aspect of this month, Lord, is, is you just smiling down, even to those who don't believe, and saying, hey, this is my son, and hey, I gave him for you, and hey, he came down here to sanctify you and give you a path to me. Father, we're just so thankful for you. We're thankful for your son. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit, and we're thankful for this body, for Touch Heaven, both here and online. Lord, I ask that you just use my, my mouth for your glory and that we just worship you wholly today. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump right, well, actually, we're going to go for, anyone know what ROEs are? The acronym ROE? Nobody? Rules of engagement. So you know me, military guy, right? So I like to, I like to spin that in here. So we're going to go through some rules of engagement for scripture reading today. So what, what that, what's that mean? That means Prior to any kind of uh, battle or you go on patrol in the, in the military, really anything you do, if you get put into a combat environment, you're given left and right limits. You're given rules to follow by. You can't do this. You can do this. If this happens, then you're allowed to do this, right? So that's all based off of law. That's all based off of order and the construct that we put onto war to keep people from going too far, really is what it's to do, keep people from going too far. So the ROEs for today's scripture, right? So I, I took a few classes uh, what was it, last year, Abby, two years ago? I took a few classes on hermeneutics. Anyone hear that word before? Hermeneutics. That's a fun word, right? I can't, Herman the Wormin is what Abby likes to say, because when Abby got taught hermeneutics, the Herm the Worm taught her the, the way to do it, which was just like a, a kid's uh, 
kid's way of learning, but still true. What about exegesis? Has anyone heard that word before? Exegesis, right? So those are two big words, but when you take like these really rudimentary intro to how to teach the Bible courses, really they start with hermeneutics and exegesis, right? And so hermeneutics is basically a way to distill the word of God, if anyone can do that, right? Distill the word of God from the smallest, smallest part of it. So from where it is in scripture to where it is in the chapter to where it is in the book of the Bible to who wrote it, to the time that that person wrote it, to who they were talking to. So it's this contextual understanding of trying to understand the scripture. Exegesis is getting into the language. Was it written in Hebrew? Was it written in Greek? Was it written in Aramaic? What was the slang of the time, right? You know, slang's a funny thing. Like, if, if you come into a church here in Ohio, you can hear the word pop, right? Everyone knows what pop is, right? Hey, you want to pop? You go down to South Florida when I did, in third grade, when I was nine years old, I went down to South Florida, I said pop, and everyone looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, what are you talking about? I was like, soda. <laughs> like, oh, you, you want a soda? So that's just in America, right? So that's slang. So now imagine the Bible, right? You're writing the Bible, and you're using slang. The word pop, if you were to use it in the context of this area, everyone would know what it meant. But if you were to take that, even just to South Florida, if someone would be like, is he talking about, like, a pop, like, like a punch? Is he talking about, like, an explosion, a popper? You know, it would confuse them. So there's good reason for these ROEs, right? Is everyone kind of following me here? There's good reason to, to figure that out because you're, you're trying to get the intent of what was being said. So for today, we're going to go into real basic ROEs. We're going to touch a little bit of this hermeneutics, this context, but really what I want everyone to do here is just listen to the story. So sometimes when you read the Bible, right, and I told you, I, I sat up here and I confessed three weeks ago, I can be haughty in knowledge. What does that mean? That means I could be the person that could challenge internally what that word was supposed to mean, right? Hey, what was the Greek behind that? What does that mean? And, you know, that gets really interesting when you start talking about things like that are controversial in this day and age, like maybe tongues, right? Some churches don't believe in the power of tongues. There's an argument there. There's an argument to be had in the scripture about what that word meant and where it was placed and who was talking. And I think that's a fun aspect of worship, but hear me here, but that is not, not the hills worth dying on when we're worshiping Jesus, right? So there's certain hills that's worth dying on. That's Jesus. That's the son of God. He came into this earth, God and man, perfectly each, which is a crazy concept, died for our sins and was raised right? That is the crux of our religion. Everything else, it's good. The Holy Spirit can guide us through that. that. That intangible thing I was talking about earlier, right, can guide us through that. But please believe me, those aren't hills worth dying on. So, ROEs, are they understood? Do we understand our rules of engagement for today? All right, cool. So we're going to go right into scripture. We're going to start right from the beginning. Matthew, well, the beginning of, of what we call the New Testament now, right? Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and then we're going to go right into chapter 2. If you want to turn there with me, and we're going to throw it up. I'm going to read somewhat slow, so bear with me. And Jimmy's not here. I don't, I don't see him, at least. I see Dottie. Hi, Dottie. So I can't make fun of Jimmy for sleeping this time, uh, but I'll make fun of him if he's watching online. Love you, Jimmy. All right. <laughs> so the birth of Jesus Christ, Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, chapter 2, after Jesus was born into Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, oops, skip ahead, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, story, right? So you have a child brought into this earth in miraculous form. So that's the start of Jesus. Think about that for a second. A virgin giving birth to a child without any of the pre-stuff. I know there's children here, but that, that's a miraculous thing, right? And then you have a man who's betrothed to a wife. So this is where this hermeneutics is going to come in, Joseph. The Bible doesn't say a lot about Joseph, right? If you, if you kind of skim through Matthew and Luke, really, which is the only kind of areas that talk a lot about Joseph, there's not a lot to talk about. Like, they kind of just say a few things about Joseph, and then they, they move on. A lot of, there's a lot of focus on Mary. Joseph, though, from this beginning scripture, what do we get told? He's just, right? So in this time, contextually, betrothed means engaged, right? I think most of us know that. So as betrothed and engaged, they weren't allowed to, or they weren't living together. They weren't really spending much time together. And so she said to him at some point, hey, I'm pregnant, even though we haven't spent time together. And so per the Jewish law, when you dig into it, he had a lot of ways he could have taken that, but all the ways led to shame. All the ways led to not marrying her. All the ways led to really publicly shaming her and even to the point where she could even be stoned for, for what this potential crime was, right? So that's where Joseph was sitting. He immediately decided not to do any of that, though, right? Before the angel even visited him, Joseph said, because he's just, he said he's going to figure out how to do it quietly. So he immediately showed some empathy, right? So what are, we, what are we learning from Joseph? Well, we're learning that God picked a man to be the father of Jesus for a certain amount of time, not his God, not his father, right? We know father was, was Jesus' God, but to be his earthly father. So he had a duty. This man was given a task, right? And his task was hard. He had to go against all culture. So can you imagine standing in front of your family and saying, you know, they're looking at the calendars, looking at the dates, and they're like, this isn't lining up, Joseph. You, you know the law, right? Now, now you're, you're getting put in a weird spot, right? Are, are you obeying the law, the law that you were raised? Are you going to respect and honor your parents like, like the Jewish culture teaches, like our God teaches? Or are you going to listen to what now is required for God to provide comfort, which was a messenger to say, hey, hey, coming from a dream, this is, this is what I want to do. This is my plan. Follow it and name him Jesus, right? So he had a task. Like, and I think we blow past this task pretty quickly. Me as a man, that's a pretty hard task, right? Even if a, ma a messenger came to me in the night, I think I would have a, a hard time just immediately following. Just going to be brutally honest here. I would have a hard time. I wouldn't just say, Roger that, which is a military term, right? Roger that, I'll go and do that. I would say, wait a second. I'd want to have a conversation. I'd be like, hey, come back. <laughs> come back here. How am, I, how am I supposed to talk to my parents about that? How am I supposed to talk to the judge about that? 
You know, that's, that's what I would want to do. I'd be like, hey, give me the blueprint. Like, what do I do? I don't want to just know, okay, I'm going to marry this woman, and I'm going to name this child that's not mine, Jesus. I would want to know how. <laughs> like, like that, that's a hard thing to just stomach, and that's what Joseph did, right? So why are we honing in on Joseph? Well, the theme of today, and we're going to hone in on the Magi's after this, but the theme of today is a scripture, not excuse me, not a scripture, a quote that we're going to get into later that was etched into my heart as a young boy playing baseball. And the quote, I'm going to say it now, but we'll get into it later. It's, I'm only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that I can do, I ought to do, and by the grace of God, I shall do. And we're going to digest that a little bit. It's, it's, a, it's a quote from... Uh, a previous Senate chaplain, right? He was more than that, but in the early 1900s, he was a Senate chaplain. I'll say it one more time. I am only one, me, only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. That I can do, I ought to do, and by the grace of God, I shall do. Pretty powerful quote, right? Think about Joseph. It's one guy living in the middle of the desert, given a task, pretty hard, no blueprint. Now let's jump to these magi. So I gotta, we're going to play a little church trivia real quick. And this is just for fun, because this is what happens to me every time I try to prepare for a message. My perspective gets challenged. How many magi were there in this story? Good. She wins, right? But what do you see in the nativity scenes? How many magi? Three, right? I've, I've seen that since I grew up. I never even thought about it. It's just three magi. Three magi are showing up there with their gifts, right? That's what the nativity scene shows. But someone, someone would be good at Bible trivia. We don't know how many magi, but what we do know about these magi and who they are, or wise men, astrologers, right? They came from most likely Babylon. How far is Babylon from the Judea region? Anyone know? <laughs> about 600 to 700 miles. So let's think about the nativity scene again. The nativity scene goes pretty quick, right? And, you know, when you go and you watch a nativity scene, it goes pretty quick. Jesus born, Jesus in a manger, magi show up, shepherds show up, Jesus is still a baby. That's how the nativity scene is generally played out. How long do you think it takes to get by foot or camel 600 to 700 miles? Yeah, at least, yeah, at least a year, right? So that's like talking, like we're going to walk from here to Atlanta. You know, I put it on the map real quick for us. We're going to walk from here to Atlanta with maybe some camels, and there's no food source, there's no Walmart, you know, there's no gas stations. Like, hey, we're going to figure this out. So you've got to find some wells. You've got to find some people that are going to take you in. You've got you to find your basics to get from here to Atlanta. It's going to take us a little bit, right? It's not going to happen overnight. So where do these guys come from? They came from Babylon. What's Babylon? Babylon is not typically a region where Yahweh was worshipped, right? Babylon is what we kind of generate down, generally distill down to Iraq now. So it's the Iraq region. 600 years before that, there was a man named Daniel that found himself in the same region, found himself as a wise man, found himself as a, a person that had the ear of Nebuchadnezzar. What was Daniel? He was a Jew. He was a Jew. He was the advisor of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a Jew. He was a worshiper of Yahweh. 600 years about before this, and Daniel wrote his book, his letters that were handed off. 600 years later, if you look in Daniel 9, you'll see a prophecy that is when the anointed one will come into this earth, right? In Daniel 9, and the numbers are broken down by 70s and 60s, and that's hard for us to distill. Let's go back to that verbiage in the beginning, right? If I said pop versus soda, if you said 70 times 7, I would say 490, right? 
that's not what he was saying. And that's because of the culture at the time. So the best of our ability, and these wise men validate this, was Daniel was prophesying for the anointed one to come at this time that Jesus was born. So these astrologers who were, who were Gentiles, they weren't worshipers of God, as far as we know, right? These guys were nobody that understood Yahweh, but they understood that someone 600 years ago, that was one of them, prophesied the king of the Jews was coming at this time. So they were looking. They're looking out in the stars, and they see a star. And they decide, that's it. That's the sign. This is what Daniel talked about. This must be true. The king of the Jews is here. And what do they do? They go to where, where would the king of the Jews most likely be? The capital, right? <laughs> they go, like, we're going to go to the capital. And so they make their journey to, to Jerusalem, where Herod was, and they find the king. I got a question. How many people in here think they could walk to Washington, D.C. right now and get an audience with the president? Just a question. Or how about that? Let's take a, walk to Columbus and get an audience with the governor. Maybe if you're in the state of Texas, Abby could do it. She might be the only one if you know her background. But, but me, if I walked to Columbus right now and said, hey, I want to speak to the governor, they'd be like, no. <laughs> like, and also, why did you walk here from Canfield? You know, you're, you're crazy. But this is what these guys did. So what's that say about these magi? That says not only were they secular, right? So we know for the most of our ability they were astrologers, which means they were looking for signs and wonders, but they didn't know where those signs and wonders were coming from. But they probably carried some weight with them, right? Because they were able to go to Jerusalem and immediately get an audience with Herod. So these people, let's take this a step back now. So that, that was the hermeneutics, right? Kind of fun, kind of fun. Let's take a step back. Let's listen to the story. Gentiles, maybe three, maybe a hundred. We don't know. Magi, astrologers, wise men, not believing in Yahweh to the best of our knowledge. See a sign from a prophet. That was a Jew, but he was one of them, and they probably more so affiliated him with one of them. 600 years before, they get up Men that carry weight, right, they're not poor. They bring some expensive stuff. They travel six to 700 miles over a year to find this person, all right? They end up in the capital, and then they're like, where's he at? Herod, I don't know. Good question. I thought I was him. Because Herod, went, at that time, he went by the king of the Jews. That was the name that was given to him at the time. So he was the governor of the Jews, arguably not even a Jew himself. So Herod is kind of thrown off. These people come from Babylon not his own people, and they say, where's the king of the Jews? What do you think Herod thought? I mean, I think we find out, right? Herod's like, I don't know, but if you find him, let me know, because <laughs> I'm interested, too, to worship him, right? You read on, you know he wasn't interested in worshiping him. An atrocity occurred. Babies were murdered because of this. But Herod gets there, and he says, all right, let me bring in all, all my people, right? All my people that are Pharisees, Sadducees, men of the law that understand, hey, where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? Bethlehem. All right, so these magis get sent to Bethlehem. They find out where Jesus is. How do they find him out? How do they find out where Jesus is? The Shekinah glory of God. Have you, have you heard that word? I, I know it's been said here before, the Shekinah glory. So the Shekinah glory of God is this way to, that's throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's when this overwhelming light appears with no knowledgeable source and it's the glory and the presence of God, and everyone recognizes it as such, right? So they're in Jerusalem, and this light appears. Not necessarily a star again, but a light appears. It shows them to way, the way to where Mary and Joseph and Jesus are. All right, so let's take you there for a second. So we're, in the, we're, in, we're about to be in this nativity scene. I'm following you. You following me? Everyone following me still? It's kind of fun, I think. Challenge my perspective. So a year after Jesus was born, what do you think Jesus looks like? Probably a toddler. He's probably roughly a year old, right? What do toddlers look like? 
They drool. They cry. They need their diapers changed. They need fed. Can they talk? I've never met a one-year-old that could talk. So let's not forget this, right? Jesus is God, but Jesus is also man. So to be God and man, you have to be a baby. So now you're these rich, secular, Gentile astrologers that just traveled over a year. You find a king who looks like a king. It's not him. You end up in Bethlehem, which is like not the area you necessarily want to end up in if you know about the time. You show up to a poor area, and you see a baby, and what do you do? Because this is where the Shekinah glory of God brought you. So you're expecting the king of the Jews to be there, and you see a baby. What do you do? What would I do? I'd be like, hey, man, are you sure? This is maybe we were off by a year. You know, maybe I'd be like, hey, did we mess up? That? Maybe we looked at the wrong star. Maybe we went, is the compass right? Like, maybe we went east instead of, did we go west? I don't know. Like, that's the conversations I would have been having. What do they do? Let's look. So Matthew 2, 9 through 11. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star, the Shekinah glory of God that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly, great with joy. And going into the house, they saw the child, the baby, with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So remember to take you back to this story, right? You just did all this, and then you see a baby. What's the human reaction? Hey, what I just said, right? Did my compass mess up? Like, is this thing stuck? What's their reaction? They worshipped this baby. Can you imagine? Like, just put yourself there for a second. Can you imagine worshipping a one-year-old? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. These are Gentiles. These aren't Jews. This is the start of Jesus' story to the best of our knowledge. This is, the, this is the Christmas story right here. Gentiles. There's a lot of other things going on, but we're just honing in here, right? Gentiles making this journey, showing up immediately without question, worshiping a baby, probably in diapers. Maybe the diaper smelled. I don't know. Worshiping a baby and without question giving that baby very expensive gifts. <laughs> giving that baby very expensive gifts. It's pretty crazy, right? Like, if you just put it into our context, it's pretty crazy. But what do they do? What do those magi do? What are they displaying? They're displaying faith, right? As Gentiles, they're displaying faith, and they don't even know what they're displaying faith in, and they don't even know why, but they are displaying faith. And it took a little bit of God's initiating, right? It took a little bit of that Shekinah glory of God to bring them there. And all modern, and even at the time, you know, people probably thought they were crazy. <laughs> like, like, now put yourself in Joseph's shoes, right? So Joseph, take, we're, we're honing in on him again for a second. Joseph, a man betrothed to a woman, woman's pregnant, gets visited by an angel, says, hey, it's mine, let it go, marry her, continue to follow the rules, name him Jesus. Now he's sitting there, and he's probably just waiting, right? He's there for a year. This isn't instant that these magi show up. And Luke will reveal that some shepherds showed up pretty quickly, right? But he's got about a year-ish, maybe more, in Bethlehem. It's not his home, right? If we go back to the story, Bethlehem's not his home. He's got about a year there that God kept him there for what? For these magi to show up. Why? For that to be chronicled. Why? Because it's a representation of how God talks to us. So God initiated, 600 years before that, a prophecy through Daniel. 
That prophecy made its way through Babylon for 600 years, through an area that didn't worship Yahweh, didn't worship the God of Israel. It landed into some wise men. They followed it, not knowing who they're following, but knowing they're looking for the king of the Jews, and God waited. He made Joseph and Mary wait. Do you think he didn't provide for them? They're not at their home, right? No, I'm sure he provided for them. But do you think Joseph knew why he was waiting? No. But these Gentiles showed up there, guys that carried some weight, right? Guys that had some money, and they worshiped a baby. And God specifically wanted to do that as probably for so many reasons, but for one that I know, to show how he goes after us. Think about that. Put yourself in those wise men's shoes, right? You just walked 700 miles over a year looking for the king of the Jews. You found a baby. That's your king. You don't even know why. You're not read into the Jewish law, most likely. You have no clue about the prophecies, but you know the Shekinah glory of God, that Holy Spirit, right? That thing that we can't necessarily put our finger on, but when it's there, we know it's there. Bam, that hits you, and you worship. And you worship, and then God the whole time was saying, hey, Joseph, why do you think you're hanging out in Bethlehem for the last year? Because I wanted this to happen. I wanted to show a model in the beginning of our religion, in the beginning of our story of Jesus. I wanted to show a model of how I'm going to go find my lost sheep and how I'm going to preserve and provide for every single part of that. And that story is going to be chronicled throughout the rest of history, and that story is going to be told it's going to maybe be messed up, you know? Maybe the nativity scene happens in 10 minutes at a play, and it's, like, kind of confusing, and it seems cool, but it's not, it's not necessarily unpacked the right way. But in the end, that story is going to be etched into society. I'm going to change the calendar. It's no longer going to be whatever calendar we're going off of in the Hebrew-Roman world. We're going to go off of, boom, Jesus was born. Now we're in, what, 2021, right? So even though we kind of missed... Yeah, AD, I agree. Even though we kind of missed a little bit, I mean, Jesus was probably born around 4 BC. Like, either way, BC and AD. Change the calendar. Christmas. How do you spell Christmas? Christ. How's, what's the story we're talking about? Christ's entry into this world. God, 100%. Man, 100%. And it's a story of Gentiles right from the beginning. Gentiles dropping everything and making this journey to worship the king, the king of the Jews, and they're not even Jewish. It's an amazing story, right? So that's the nativity scene, and why I think it's fun, and why I think that hermeneutics is fun is because it challenges our perspective, right? But so what? All right, that's a cool story. It's hard to believe for people. If you're not a believer, I I get it. You got a virgin birth. You got rich men worshiping a baby. (laughs) Like, Like, this sounded pretty crazy, right? Like, I get it. Trust me. I get it. I was that, right? It didn't make sense to me. But so what? Well, there's a lot of so what's. And one of them, I think, goes back to that quote. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. That I can do, I ought to do. And by the grace of God, I shall do. So scripture, where do we find that kind of stuff? Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not suspect. Matthew, I'm going to just pepper you guys with some of this. Just, just for, once again, not hermeneutics, but just for inundation. Matthew 25, 13. Watch, therefore you know neither the day nor the hour. Luke 12, 40. You must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. Wake up. Wake up from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. 
Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, that Shekinah glory. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but be put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh that gratifies his desires. What do these things mean? These means be ready. You are one, right? You're only one, but you are one, so be ready. Pretty powerful stuff, right? So where, where, now we're going to go back into another story, secular story, the story of Sam. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, Abby, for laughing. Abby knows me, and she knows that was a joke. You guys are probably like, what did he just say? Um, so either way, the story of Sam. When I was a young boy, um, there was a coach, and spoiler alert, he's in the back of the room, but there was a coach that taught a baseball team. We were a bunch of 12-year-olds, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint a picture for these 12-year-olds, right? You had a, a two Jews on the team. You had a bunch of Cubans. You had maybe three what we would consider just Caucasian Italian, I don't know, English maybe. Um, I was like five foot nothing, maybe even less than that. And then half the other kids were like six foot two. Like, I don't know how many, like, you know, some of these Cuban kids grew up pretty quick. I know we got a, we got a big Guatemalan presence in the church. Like, you, kids are going to get big quick. Like, that's just how it works, right? I didn't catch up for a long time, right? So I'm walking around with a bunch of six foot two Cuban kids. One of the, one of the Jewish kids was like 6'5", you know, and he never grew. He, he never grew from the age of 12. He just stayed at 6'5". And so this is our baseball team, right? We're like number two in the nation out of South Florida, like as a travel team, which is pretty crazy. Number one was in Beaver, PA, and they never wanted to play us. <laughs> like, we drove all the way up here to play them, and they still want to play us. But either way, no, not, I'm not salty about that, but either way, that's our team, right? This team came from all different walks of life, right? Some poor, like when I mean poor, I mean like really poor. Some rich, when I mean rich, I mean like they're really well off, you know? Some Catholic, but they didn't really know it, we're 12 years old. Some Jewish, but they didn't really understand it, 12 years old. Maybe they did, I don't know. We did two things before every game. We took a knee and we said the Lord's Prayer. Jews included, they, they, they did it too. I don't think they knew what they were doing, but the team was doing it, right? So we took a knee and we said the Lord's Prayer, and then we said that quote. I'm only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. That I can do, I, shall, I ought to do, and by the grace of God, I shall do, right? And then usually, our crazy coach, who was also happened to be a pastor, would, would pray over us. And then we go break huddle and we go play. So this is kind of how like this team broke down, right? What was etched into my soul was that quote. And I think it's important because what I believe, right, and what I think we all need to believe in these seasons is, what about those other boys? I don't really keep in touch with maybe, maybe two of them I keep in touch with. Do you think this quote was etched into their souls too? I, I'm believing in God it was, right? But what can I do to maybe ensure or ask or prod to see as, as a Christian, right? As someone who's supposed to, who knows this story is true, who knows that nativity seems true, what can I do? I am only one, right? But I am one, so what can I do? Well, I can stand up here and proclaim that I pray for those men. They're men right now. I pray for them right now in the name of Jesus that God will reveal himself to them. And that this quote, this seed planted in their soul will grow and foster and Jesus will come out and show his goodness and his greatness just like he did to me, even when I didn't want it, right? I could do that. I'm only one, but I am one, right? So this quote, we're going to break it down by some scripture. So who said it? Edward Everett Hale. So like I said, he was an author and a poet. He was served uh, as a chaplain of the U.S. Senate. And I know this body is given a task, right, a mission to pray. Think about that for a second. 1903, this, this man who said this quote was a chaplain of the U.S. Senate, right? 
So think about the power of this. And think about the power of this body's mission to pray for the Senate and to pray for, for our government, our leadership. So let's break this quote down. I am only one. What does that mean? When you're saying I'm only one, humility, right? I am recognizing that I cannot bench press what Joe Russo can bench press. Can't do it. Can't do it as much as I want to right now. I can't do it. I'm only one, right? That's like two men right there. I'm only one, all right? But I am one, right? So what is the humility in the scripture? Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, remember that baby? He was in the form of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, a drooling baby. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. I am only one. That's our God. That's the model that he set. He, he didn't even, although he was God, he didn't even try to grasp the strength of the Father because he wanted to show the perfect model of how to live. Even though he could, it was at his fingertips. Any single second, he could call down a legion of angels, right? He says that. He didn't do it. He's only one, and he wanted to, even though he was God, he wanted to demonstrate to us how we're supposed to live our lives, right? But I am one. I'm only one, but I am one. Romans 8, 15 through 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit, remember that Holy Spirit, himself bears with witness within our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So I'm only one, but what else am I? I'm an heir of God. Think about that for a second. Jesus, Jesus' own words, he says, You're, we're going to do greater works than him. Think about that for a second. I haven't walked on water yet, has any of you? <laughs> I'm just, uh, I haven't turned water into wine, has anybody else? So how am I supposed to do greater works than Jesus? But Jesus said it, and Jesus is God, and Jesus can't contradict his words. That's a tough thing to grasp sometimes, right? Well, the power of that is in the spirit. It's the, it's the person that you play in your spirit, aligned with God's spirit for the Holy Spirit, for the spirit of the church, the body of Christ, Right? A hand and an eye can't do the same thing, right? But when you put a hand and an eye together, they can do a lot of things. Think about that. You're only one, but you are one. You have that spirit, that heir of Christ, assuming that you've allowed Christ into your life. So I cannot do everything, but I can do something. Now we're going to hit 1 Corinthians 12, right to this body example, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, they're indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat, retreat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. Let me say that again. There should be no division in the body but that's parts should have equal concern for each other. And if one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. Now you 
are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I'm only one, but I am one. I might only be a hand. It might be me. I might be a hand. I might be two hands. I don't know. I might be eyes. I might be ears, right? We all have different gifts. But when one suffers, what are we supposed to do? Suffer with them. Does that mean we don't help? Does that mean we don't correct? Does that mean that we don't, we don't come alongside? No, that just means that we, we feel what they feel and we empathize with them, right? We're the body. The body can't do it. If your foot starts hurting, you hurt. <laughs> like if my foot hurts, Sam hurts, right? It's not just my foot. Yeah, my foot hurts, but the rest of me is feeling the same thing. It doesn't have a choice. I'm only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. Put us all together. That's that spirit. That's the church. That's the body living together. What can we do? What can we do? It's a good question, right? Luckily, the scripture answers that. John 14, 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Say that part again. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That is powerful. If you ask me anything in my name, then I will do it. But what's the key to that? The Father being glorified through the Son. So if you're asking things that are against the will of God, you think God's going to be able to answer those things? No, he can't, right? But he's saying, if your will and your heart is aligned with mine, because of Jesus, I will do anything. It's powerful. Anything. That's miracles. That's walking on water. That's healing. That's things that wouldn't make sense otherwise, like a baby being born of a virgin and three Gentiles showing up to worship a baby. That's God, though, right? Because he can do anything. Can you imagine how he kind of smiles at those situations? Like, even though the evil goes on around him and he sees that kind of thing, can you imagine when he sees three, gen- three to 100, who knows, Gentiles worshiping a baby? God's kind of funny, right? He's probably sitting back laughing, being like, told you. Or how about this? When we take, to the best of our abilities, Christ out of Christmas, because we're human, as a, not us, the body of Christ, but as this world we live in takes Christ out of Christmas, what do you think he does? Who's going to have the last laugh? What's Christmas? You can't spell Christmas without Christ. What year are we in? Why is that? The whole world's doing it. Everyone has their own calendar still, but the whole world abides by this year structure. Who started that? Jesus. Like, in the end, I think our God's a funny God. I think, I think he's a lot of things, right? But humor does not lack in our God, because when he sees these things, I know he feels for his lost sheep. I know he, he hates evil, but I also know he smiles, and he says, you know what? You guys can take the Christ out of Christmas as much as you want. It's still Christmas. The whole world still stops, because my son came into this earth as a baby, and it was so powerful, because my glory and spirit are so powerful, that people started worshiping a baby. Kind of funny, right? <laughs> it's pretty crazy. But that's what the story is today. That's the story we're talking about. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do we believe that? I'm just, I'm, I, honest rhetorical question. Do we believe that? 
Do you believe you could do all things through Christ who strengthens us? How do you know if you believe that? This is a question I ask myself on a weekly basis at least. Do I believe that? Sometimes I, I'm going to be real. I'm going to talk to you guys. Sometimes I feel, like, I feel like that guy that's asking Jesus, help my unbelief, right? <laughs> like I feel like that guy that's reaching out saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Am I the only one? But what does his word say? Man, it's a theme throughout his word. He brought, against all odds, his son into this earth in a story that if you were to try to write in any other way, wouldn't make sense. But the fact, one of the beautiful things about the Bible is guess what? It wasn't just one person writing it. It wasn't just two. It wasn't just three. They didn't all just live in the same little area. They didn't have the internet. They weren't able to get on a blog and chat to each other and say, hey, what do you think about this verse? Do you think that lines up with what Daniel said 600 years ago? Think about that. This, this Bible, which is the foundation of our word, that was written by hundreds of people over thousands of years, and it all points to Jesus. It all points to this nativity scene. It all points to this moment of celebration, this joy, because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It's such a powerful story. And this season, this season is about remembering that, right? I understand holidays can be a lot of things for a lot of people. I get it. It can be a lot of emotions. It can be happy. It can be sad. It can be stressful, right? You know, I get it. But the one thing that this holiday is about is you can't spell Christ without Christmas. The one thing that we can do as only one is remember that we are one and that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And due to the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we are heirs of God. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. What does that mean? We can come together as a body. We can stand. We can pray for our leaders. We can pray for that lost sheep. We can think back. Just take the minute to think back to the people in your lives that you love that maybe you haven't reached out to. Reach out to them and pray for them too. At a minimum, just pray for them. Think about all that. I'm only one, but I am one. Is that doing everything? Are you literally saving that person's life by your knowledge? Maybe not, right? But you are doing what you're supposed to do. And by the grace of God, you're enabled to do it. When you have breath in your lungs, what are we supposed to do with that breath? Praise God, right? The nativity scene. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. For me, I'm never going to look at the nativity scene again. I'm going to remember where those magi came from, where those <laughs> astrologers came from, right? They probably smelled too. Those, those guys walked a lot. <laughs> those guys put a lot of work in to find a baby to worship. What about us? We're so blessed this day. And I was talking to my mom about this earlier, and I think this was so fun. I was like talking to her a little bit about, you know, what I was feeling the Lord wanted me to share. And she asked me this question, is that fresh revelation or did you listen to somebody? And I said, I always listen to people. I'm blessed to listen to people. What's a potter do? Does a, does a potter make that specific molecule that goes into that clay? Or does a potter maybe combine some things and then take a piece of clay and then maybe make a spoon and a fork? Two different purposes, right? Fresh revelation, fresh revelation in this day and age is everywhere. Because all it does is it takes you to listen, you to pray, you to read the Bible, allow the Holy Spirit to enact in you, and you could take so much goodness and shatter your conception of what Jesus and God is on a weekly basis. It's, it's what happens to me on a weekly basis. My perception of who God is is shattered. Why? Because God is so much greater than us. And it's something we can't forget in this season, right? God is so much greater than us. We're only one, but we are one. We can't do everything, but we can do something. That we can do, we ought to do. By God's grace, we shall do. Etched into me as a child. I know I always stand up on this podium because I think there's a lot of parents in here and say, don't 
overlook or take lightly the seeds you plant in the children. I beg you don't. Plant those seeds. Plant those seeds. Plant those seeds. Someone's going to water them. The Holy Spirit's going to be there. If you think there's a seed planted, maybe check. See if that tree needs some water. That's what this holy season, that's what this holiday season's about. Loving each other, loving our families, loving God. Really, because I know everyone's hungry. That's all that's all I have. But thank you for allowing me to share some words with you. And in the end, I just want if there's one thing, the big idea, you know, one of my pastors in Vegas, he would he'd always hit me with the big idea, is the big idea is this cliche statement that Jesus is the reason for the season right? Cliche statement. We've all heard it. Jesus is the reason for the season, but who is Jesus? Jesus was that baby. Jesus was, was in diapers. Jesus was a 100% God and 100% man brought into this earth, and that's what we're celebrating this season. We're not only celebrating that, but we're celebrating a living God. What does that mean? God's coming back. God's coming back. Whether we meet him first or he meets us where we're at, God's coming back. The train's on the tracks, and it's been on the tracks. Nothing we could do about it. So we just got to get on board. Play our part. All right, I'm going to pray and, and then turn it over to my mom or my dad or whoever. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're just, we're so thankful in this Advent season. God, this Advent season where we're just anticipating the birth of Jesus logically, Father, I ask that you just continue to allow us to experience the living God on a daily basis, to anticipate Jesus' return in spirit and in truth and in joy, Father. And I ask that you just remind us that while we are only one and we can't do everything, God, by your grace, you have given us your son who has died on the cross for our sins and has given us an eternal ticket to anything, anything that we ask in your name, Father, you will provide to the glory of that son. And Jesus asked that, that you manifest that experientially for the people that need it, God. I'm praying that power into the atmosphere, into the, this room, into online. Father, if experience is what that person needs, God, I'm begging you to give it to them. I'm begging you, give them the experience, Father. If, if logic is what they need, Lord, shatter their logic. Lord, break them, but keep them so we can take them with us into eternity, God. We love you. We're thankful for the season. And Lord, we're so, so thankful that you came down and you did all that. You didn't, you didn't grasp the glory of the Father, but you humbled yourself to give us a model to live and to die for us. Little old me, Lord, who doesn't deserve it. Jesus, we love you. We believe in you. And you are the reason for the season. It's in your name that we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.